You're listening to the Binge Media Podcast Network on BingeMedia.net. And now, The Docket. That was the best acting I've ever seen in my whole life. That's the real magic of the movies, and don't let anybody tell you this. And by the way, you know, when you're, when you're telling these little stories, here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. And why the fuck are you wasting my two precious hours with your movie? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Docket by Binge Media. BingeMedia.net, um, your favorite podcast network. We are at Season's End. I'm here with Moreno. Hey, what's up, y'all? We are on the final episode of the first season of The Docket. 12 episodes in total. Um, it's been a blast. I hope you've enjoyed it. We've saved, um, in my eyes, I don't know, uh, I have no idea, ladies and gentlemen, how Marano feels about this, but mm-hmm. in my eyes, we've saved one of the best for last. We are talking about 1954's Rear Window. Directed by Alfred Hitchcock, written by John Michael Hayes, based on a short story called It Must Be Murder by Cornell Woolrich, starring James Stewart, Grace Kelly, and a whole bunch of old motherfuckers that we'll talk about, maybe in the upcoming moments. Um, I've uh, preached many years on the Binchcast on the old show how much I've fallen in love with Hitchcock over the years, and... When our selection process came about and Moreno was reading off the movies that are on his docket, and there are some great ones, and hopefully we get to some more of those in future seasons of the docket, but uh, none more than this one stood out for me. I jumped all over it. I said I wanted to present this to Moreno. I'm very excited to do so. Um, It comes down to this, Moreno, before I even get into what this movie was about, I need to know why was this film like i saw this shit in the theater no i'm just joking i didn't what (laughs) i was about to say i knew it (laughs) um you just take off your old face like it's (laughs) scooby-doo to present another older face i need to know (laughs) sir yeah well this has been available to you for your entire life my entire life you could have watched this at any fucking two-hour stint of your entire life Uh why has this been on your docket for so fucking long you could say that about 90 percent of hitchcock films that's right uh i think i think it's because of that reason i think it's because it's been around my entire life and it's always been i'll get to it i'll Uh get to it you know are you taking at some point, you'll get to it. Are you taking Hitchcock films for granted? Is that what you've been doing your entire life? Not anymore, thanks to the docket. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think so. I, I, I think so. Um, you know, as it turns out, you know, a, a lot of, oof, I mean, this one in particular, a lot of the films that he's directed, like, totally up my alley. 
just like right up my alley. It's it's uh, you know about you know the human condition. Some of our thrillers, some of them are just straight dramatic uh, fare. Um, some are horror, but by and large, his perspective on his stories have at least from the handful of Hitchcock films that I've seen, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, this is my style. And I think well, I kind of always knew that in the back of my head, but was okay. still like, uh, I'm going to get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it at some point. But that, that's a legit question. Before I get into, um, you know, actually what the genre, what this is about, what, like, did you think this was a horror film? That's, that's the, that's a legit question. Cause Jessica did, I watched this with my wife last uh-huh. night. She thought it was a horror film just because Hitchcock's name was attached to it. I absolutely did also. Um, yeah. My wife, Liz, watched it with her. She also thought it was a uh, horror movie. Okay. Yeah, that's a legit question, man. Um, did you know anything else other than – okay, so plot-wise, did you know a lot about it? I had zero idea. I had zero clue what the movie was about. Fantastic. Zero. I had no fucking clue what it was about. All right. Well, um, great segue, sir. This is about a uh, a dude in his apartment living. Uh, he's uh, he's a uh, in a wheelchair, but he is uh, a man of action by any other standard. He is a photographer. He has been all around the world. He's been at war. Um, he does uh, action action shots at uh, like a NASCAR. Or I don't know if they're NASCAR. <laughs> was NASCAR around in '54? I don't know. No, it's uh, more race- like. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, he's in a wheelchair because he was injured by a car while he was on the track during a race. Um, he's just he he everything about his situation is um, you know uh, it, it complicates his life because he is such a man uh, that has been all over the world. He's always out and about. He's never at home. Um, mm-hmm. So he's very stricken to his house, and it, it conflicts with him. Anyways, he is in his house. And he is, um, you know, found himself just looking out the window at the apartment complexes around him. This is set in uh, Greenwich Village in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And um, he stumbles upon what he thinks to be a murder in Mm -hmm. one of the apartments across from him. And the entire film centers around what uh, truly happened to this woman and um, him trying to solve the case with his girlfriend and his cop friend mm-hmm. is basically what this film boils down to. Now, um, you said you had no idea about this and that, that, that truly does surprise me because I feel like, uh, there's certain films throughout history where when you like, there's certain films that I've never seen, I guess, but I kind of have an understanding of what they're about. And that might actually tilt me one way or the other of why I haven't watched them. Um, so you knew nothing about this, right? Um, how, what, what did the plot do for you? Was it, uh, interesting from the start? Did it take a while to get into? How did that play out? I think by the time Hitchcock sets up that this guy's just creeping on his neighbors, (laughs) I'm in, I'm in. You are notorious for a one setting film oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) there's no more one setting film than this the guy's sitting in a fucking chair for almost two hours yeah (laughs) 
I don't, I don't know what – it's so – They yeah. Rear window, subtitle, guy sits in a chair for two hours while whilst looking at his neighbors. <laughs> compelling. It, like uh, immediately compelling. So that guy, LB Jeff Jeffries, is yeah. uh, played by James Stewart. This is the second film he did out of four with Hitchcock. Um, like, have you ever seen any other James Stewart? Uh, other, I guess maybe uh, Miracle on 34th Street would be the one that you've seen. Was he in that? I think no, he's in. Um, oh Jesus Christ! Uh, uh, oh fuck! Oh my God! Um, no, it's not Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Uh, the classic one. Was it escaping us now? I don't know. I, I, I I've I thought that was it. I, I've always thought that was it. What oh maybe he... yeah. Um, maybe I'm wrong. No, I. I... I can't even pull it up. I don't know. Oh, it's a wonderful life. It's I'm a sorry. wonderful life. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Oh, um. Anyways, were you familiar with him from anything else? He he had he's done like Harvey. I think he was in that fucking mm-hmm. Box to the Bunny. Um. Obviously, he did a he was a huge huge star in his day. But this is the fifties, right? Like, mm-hmm. are you familiar with any of his work? Yeah, I mean, just from you know that old classic. It's a wonderful life. Now it's easy. <laughs> now it's easy to roll off the tongue, um, and you know, um, and I know he has that like really great run with uh, Hitchcock, mm-hmm. um, but for whatever reason, I, I haven't seen a lot of his stuff. Mostly, know like the impression from like uh, like comedians okay. do of him. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> just that weird kind of voice. <laughs> Jess actually asked me at one point last night, "Why does he talk like that?" I'm like, That's how he talks. Like, I don't know. There's no answer to that question. I don't know. So you've never seen any of the other Hitchcock films he's done, though, right? Yeah, I'm looking at him now. No. So he's got Rope, mm-hmm. and this, and then um, Vertigo, mm-hmm. and the fourth. Oh, I had the fourth one right here, and I fucked the man who knew too much. Yes, that one. Um, so you've never seen any of those? I haven't. No. Oh, maybe future dark episode. Oh yeah, I mean this is just opening up. He, this is what I felt um, before, during, and after the film. Um, you know, a lot of times you're you're just like, you know, what am I going to watch? Whatever. Uh, and you you always go to to look for something new. Yeah. Like the old shit is going to be my new shit. Oh fuck me! Because uh, why not? Yeah. Because why not? Um, I have a slew of Hitchcock things to get through, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, watching Rear Window just like cemented that decision to just you know knuckle down. You know, a lot of times my wa- my wife won't my wife won't watch stuff with me. I don't oh. know why I turned into James Stewart there, but um, no, it's it's you know when she gets off of work, she doesn't want to. She wants to watch something silly. She doesn't want to watch like fucking serious stuff. But then like when she wants to watch serious stuff, it can't be too serious because then she's like literally hiding her eyes and shit. Um, but like this is like the perfect speed, and you know she she has a you know her, her parents were. I know it's a fucking weird backstory, but her parents were like in the thirties. You know they weren't young people when they had her. Um, so they were like in their mid thirties when they had her and they, you know, so she grew up with like a lot of old television and a lot of old movies because of her grandparents and things like that too, you know? So, you know, seeing, watching rear window with her was, a 
was pretty awesome because, you know, that follows more of, you know, like her growing up and having, having to have that patience to sit there and watch it with like your grandparent, which is fucking crazy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I can see like, um, I, I like, I was consi- actually I did when I first started watching this. I had my uh, my oldest son TJ was with us, mm-hmm. but when the phone came out about a, two minutes in, it never went away. Right, like he he just it couldn't keep his attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously, this is a very dialogue driven movie, and when it's not dialogue driven, there is no there's basically no sound. Yeah, there's it's just him looking across the street to a bunch of people where you can't hear their audio and it's just, it's just visual. Everything's mm. visual. So he, he never got into it. Um, I, you know, I, I expected that though. It wasn't, sure. it wasn't a thing where I was yep. just like fucking anonymous or anything, but I, I expected this wasn't his type of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so James, James Stewart, we were just talking about him. He, this is upon this latest rewatch of rear window. I've discovered that I am the exact same age as James Stewart when is, is in, in this movie. Really? And I could not feel older. I, can you fucking imagine? James Stewart, to me, has always been 80. Like, he's 80 in every single movie I've ever watched. He looks 80 here. That's what I'm saying. He's yeah. 80 when he died. He's 80 when he was fucking born. <laughs> like, he's always been 80 to me. Yeah. And he's the exact same age as me in this film. I could not fucking believe that. Yeah. It was yeah. A, um, not, you know, <laughs> very different than today's leading man. Take a look at uh, when James Stewart, like he, he did, you know, he disrobes for his massage and shit like that. <laughs> He's just all fucking flabby. Like, you know, there's no <laughs> musculature or anything going on there. Um, it's, it was fucking incredible to me that this guy was as dominant as he was in the 50s because yeah. uh, it's a different day and age now, man. Now, Grace Kelly, on the other hand, oh, is this woman gorgeous? Oh, my I can't God. Even fathom how fucking gorgeous this woman is 25 while filming this film she was 25 20 fucking five years but again like why does she seem older though you know like she seems like she's fucking in her 40s i know it's something about old films (laughs) where they're always older than you it doesn't matter if they're fucking 20 if they're fucking 15 yeah they are older than you always yeah and i'm sure you can like grab one of your in-laws like while you're watching this and they'd be like, wow, you know, Grace Kelly looks so young there. And you'd be like, what? <laughs> or <laughs> James Stewart looks so young there. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I love that. Uh, Did, I, I, don't re- I don't remember. Does James Stewart do that, like, 1950s Robert Mitchum, uh, like, suck in the gut thing? Barrel chest no. suck in the gut. So he- <laughs> I don't even think he was capable of it. There was, he's got a cast. From fucking hip bone to fucking toes. Like, I don't think there's much yeah. uh, fucking posturing going on when you stand up. And... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Like, in the 50s, like, you, all you cared about was that upper body, son, and that barrel chest. You, well, you, did. <laughs> you did not do leg day, and you did not do uh, six-minute abs. <laughs> well, Grace Kelly was doing something, because this woman oh, was fucking... God, she was really, really beautiful, man. Um, I can't believe how fucking uh, let's just fucking like every time she spoke, it was like this is what I think of when I think of old films like this, right? Like this, these long, drawn out, fucking elegant monologues, and she was just doing it every time she spoke, and that wasn't in character. I'm not saying she was just doing it to be um, fucking, you know, 
like like eccentric or anything like that. Like right. her character was that like Hitchcock or the screenwriter. Um, they wrote her like that mm-hmm. and to be almost too perfect, you know, mm-hmm. and, that, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but we got James Stewart who, who's kind of like an ordinary, he's cranky. He's fucking, um, you know, he's stuck in a wheelchair and he fucking, he's not happy with anything. And he's just starting to rethink his perfect girlfriend and she really does come off like that. Like she's just, she's perfect. And it comes to a point where I'm like, the fuck's she doing with this guy? He's a fucking schlub. Like you don't get to yeah. see the man of the world that you hear about throughout the, even in the uh, opening credits, you get to see all the pictures that he's taken of the racetrack and all that kind of shit. And you get right. an idea of what he did. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can kind of picture why she's fallen in love with him. But during this movie, he's a dick to her. <laughs> like like complete, all the time. Constantly. All the time. And she's so fucking elegant, and you're just like, wow, like, what the fuck, where, what is this relationship? I don't know what's going on there. Mm. It's that old Chris Rock joke of, you know, whoever the hottest chick that you've, like, the hottest chick that you see at the club or whatever, there's yeah. a guy at home that's bored. You know? <laughs> that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Now, I kind of, uh, I kind of, you know, fucking flew by the rest of the cast, but of course, yeah. uh, one of the main characters across the way is played by Raymond Burr. Um, obviously he went on to, you know, be Perry Mason and yeah, mm-hmm. uh, for Godzilla and all that kind of shit. The Ironside, um, very, very popular actor. Um, did, did that like, was that name recognition a thing for you? Did you know anything about him being in this or anything? Um, I didn't know about him being in this. Uh, I, I, I know the name and mm-hmm. you know, it, it, he's just, from that generation of I'm sure I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's just yeah, you know the name. Like you just yep. I mm-hmm. hear the name, picture the face and you know the name. Um apparently he was made up, he was chosen by Hitchcock and made up to look like um a producer that Hitchcock had a lot like he hated. He had a lot <laughs> of Oh, I love this shit. I love that shit. So, so Hitchcock uh, gave him the curly gray hair. He gave him the hat, and he made him look exactly like this producer that he hated. And um, if you've seen the film, you find out why, because he is the main target of James Stewart's uh, kind of fucking suspicion throughout the film. The, yeah. the the antagonist, if you will, but you kind of don't know uh, if if Jeffries is right. And I think that is a big key mm-hmm. to this film. Mm-hmm. So it comes down to, you know, James Stewart... The setup for his dilemma is, um, you know, whether you understand it or not, it's happening in almost every scene of the film and what he's watching. I think, I don't know if you, um, it feels, I feel like you do because you're really excited to talk about this, but I, I just want to say it for the uh, listening audience. Everything that James Stewart's watching, I feel, relates to what's going on in his life. Mm-hmm. In one way or another, and I, I, I it, it's honestly, it took me quite a few times to to understand this watching the film, where you see all these other little quirky characters throughout the apartment buildings across the way, mm-hmm. and they're just that they're just quirky characters doing their own quirky things. Mm-hmm. It's not until you start dealing or, or or digging deeper into what they're all about that you can relate it back to James Stewart, and that I think is an unprecedented brilliance for the time, at least for Hitchcock and the way he thought about making a film 
is kind of just extraordinary for me, mm-hmm. especially in the 50s. I don't know if a lot of filmmakers have the time or patience to to relate everything in a film to one story. Like it's just it's just incredible for me. I'll, I'll break it down for you. So I'll, I'll break it down for you. Yeah, Miss Torso mm-hmm. is the the hot chick across the way. By the yeah. way, seventeen years old. This chick. What? She's seventeen years old. Oh God, I feel <laughs> fucking weird now. I know. Well, she's probably dead now, so that's okay. She is dead. Everyone, oh, okay. <laughs> I checked it. <laughs> All right, good. All right, good. <laughs> Everyone is. By the way, Grace Kelly died at fifty-two. Did you know that in a car crash? Ooh, Jesus. This is like, oh, this yeah. Is her midlife fucking movie right here. Wow, amazing. Yeah. Fucking amazing. Um. Anyways, Miss Torso, she is a no. She is loving life. She's this hot fucking uh, ballerina. She's got men coming in out of her fucking door. She is representing basically what he thinks his girlfriend, Lisa, is all about. She's perfect. All the men want her. You know what I mean? Everything, like, this is the life she should be leaving. Because he constantly says, she's too perfect. I don't know why she wants to be with me. Blah, 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 blah. You got the composer. Mm-hmm. Right? He, <laughs> wait till you hear the fact about this guy. This is fucking incredible. So the composer is, um, he's... He hates, he's struggling with where his life's at, right? He's, mm-hmm. he's having a time uh, finding that perfect song. He's trying to write the fir- perfect song. You see him on the piano uh, all the time struggling. You see him come home drunk and just fucking smashing shit around. He's, he's not happy with his life. He's not happy where he's at. He's James Stewart in another light. By the sure. way, this guy, the actor that played the composer, mm-hmm. created Elvin and the Chipmunks. <laughs> what? He created Elvin Chipmunks and wrote the fucking Chipmunk song. He is an actual composer. Oh Jesus! Wow. <laughs> that, that oh, God. Fucking crazy. Um, you have like the, you movie. can't have that today. Today you're like, well, he's in the movie. Also, he has an amazing TikTok. He's got like mm-hmm. fucking thirty million followers. <laughs> he gets paid by Nike. It's fucking amazing. It's fucking. I know. <laughs> um. The newlyweds, right? He, yeah. he doesn't. He's so James Stewart Jeffries is. Uh, he doesn't want to get married, right? Like, uh, it's it's not. He's not there yet. He doesn't want to be settled down. So he sees the newlyweds come, move into the fucking apartment across the way, yeah. and and they close the drapes. So he doesn't really get to see what that life is like. He gets to see him yeah. once in a while. Open the window, come out for a smoke, but then she calls him right back in. So he doesn't know uh, why he's calling her. Is he calling her for sex? Is it going to be a good time? Is he calling her because he's bitching at her? So whatever. So that's kind of a mystery to him. You got Miss Lonely Heart in the bottom. Yep. Lonely Heart is, um, I think she represents, if he pushes Lisa away, is he going to turn into Miss Lonely Heart? Is he going to be this sad fucking old asshole that missed every opportunity he had to be happy and just turn into a fucking old drunk that fucking talks to herself and eventually what you think maybe ends up killing herself. Um, there's so many different things going on representing, you know, where his mind might be at that just look like quirky little characters here and there. It's, it's kind of brilliant in my eyes. Now, anything I just told you, is that bringing light to you or did you like catch on to that shit first watch? I didn't. Um, I, but I did feel like, I, I didn't directly, 
But I mm. felt I, – I didn't feel like these are just extensions of uh, Jeff's, like, current being. Right. But I felt like there was, there was something going on. I just couldn't put my finger on it. Right. It was almost like, you know, you know the, all these people um, – like, he was jealous of the, the ability for all these people to come in and out of their own, like, places, you know, where they yeah. live. So I thought it was more of just like a jealousy thing. So let's right. just check them out. I did, yeah, but that's that makes a lot of sense. I, I got to say, man, this is, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, another way, like an even more, a simpler way to look at them, uh, I think in the earlier viewings of this is just that it's about kind of voyeurism in a way. It's it's really scary how much this translate into the modern world through mm-hmm. social media shit like that but if you just look at it as it as it is um you get to see like obviously there's an end scene where you kind of see the ending for all these characters yeah and thing is as it seems right like you, the, he can watch these people every day but i don't think any of us or him could predict the end story for any of them yeah. because you know two of them end up together one of them uh miss torso is actually married Mm-hmm. With a, a man she's really in love with and all this, and he's and he's nothing, right? I think right. that, and that, and that plays into the torso storyline because he thinks Miss Torso represents Lisa, who's too good for him, and in the end, her husband comes home and he's a schlub. He's a short guy with glasses, <laughs> yeah, yeah, special to look at, and I think you know that can give him hope at the end. Miss Lonelyheart finds fucking you know a, a spark with fucking the composer, so those two find it. Those mm-hmm. two representations of his life are there but and then there's the other side the newlyweds shit's not it's just not going great there right right <laughs> right yeah it's not as it seemed you think those blinds are closed because they're fucking fucking it up every night but you know once those blinds come up you see that they you know he's got to pay fucking bills and and talking shit in his ear much like fucking uh uh thorwald and his wife were before the fucking incident that turns out to be the main plot of the storyline yeah yeah the young couple was interesting to me because you know they when they first show up you know like he's carrying her you know everything's nice and everything and then you know like a few scenes later you see him (laughs) he's just leaning out the window smoking a cigarette and then like oh fuck i gotta go back in there because she's yelling at me or whatever (laughs) it's just you know now that you you put the lens on how all these different people, all of his neighbors are, you know, just certain extensions of himself, you know, mm-hmm. he may look at that guy and go, Oh, that's me. Yep. You know, because I'm fucking depressed and you know, like I'm, I'm also with somebody who, you know, is talking shit or like, you know, just hovering over me and, you know, not exactly the perfect relationship or whatever. And you want more. Absolutely. I dude, I fucking think I think this is the perfect quarantine movie to watch. Oh my god, it's it, fantastic. It is the perfect quarantine movie to watch cuz not only are, you know, to some extent is just watching movie, the act in itself voyeurism. Mm-hmm. But um you know, and and seeing seeing Jeffrey's fucking go through this. Yeah. He can't, he can't leave. Right. He can't move. I mean the window is his 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 that's his media. 
It's not like he has an iPhone. It's not like he has an, a, a TV. I mean, he might have a radio, but and he might have a TV, but we don't see that. You know, he just chooses to just watch these people's lives. Absolutely. It's 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 a fantastic uh, fucking school in filmmaking because we we are Jeffries, and in, yes. in very rare moments are we not him. And there's one key one when we do see Thorwald leave the apartment with his wife, and Jeffries is asleep. Other than that, I think the entire movie is not only through Jeff, like through our eyes, but it's through Jeffrey's eyes. We we are yes. seeing everything happen from his apartment. Um, the only mm-hmm. time it's not in his apartment is at the very, very, very end, mm-hmm. uh, climactic scene where uh, he falls out off the balcony, and the shit takes place in the courtyard. Everything else takes place in that apartment. Um, yes. So when it, it's very key as to what Hitchcock shows us, right? Right. Uh, we are looking at certain, the scenes that he wants to show us at any given moment. Mm-hmm. When it gets down to the scene where Thorwald looks into that camera and sees him looking at him, I got. I, I think I always get goosebumps. It's fucking creepy as hell. Yeah. Because yep. if you don't feel like Thorwald's looking at you at that moment, like the Hitchcock's not done his job. Right? Yeah, he's not done his job. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my god, it's fucking so fucking creepy, man. And when he's walking down the hallway and he comes into that apartment, and we're still stuck, and we're still there, man. We're still in that apartment, and fucking Stuart's in the dark, and he's us. He's trying to hide, yep. but there's nowhere to go. He can't hide, and it's just it's fucking oh my god. And it's you so om- brilliant. And you almost feel like this is what we deserve. This is what we deserve from fucking spying on people. We shouldn't be doing that. We knew we shouldn't be doing that. And now this is the chickens come home to roost. Yeah, um, I have a I have a, a a clip here from the writer, the, the uh, famous writer Robert Town, um, talking about Rear Window, and he, he's he's talking about the perspective, exactly what you what you're what we're both talking about right now. Um, he mentions in a little bit more detail. Hitchcock clearly was a, a voyeur of a, of a rare order. I mean, that's what that, that, that sense of looking at things that he shouldn't be looking at. And his characters are always getting in trouble because of that one reason. They see something they shouldn't, or somebody thinks they've seen something they shouldn't. That's true of North by Northwest. It's true of the 39 Steps. It's true of, uh, uh, of The Lady Vanishes. It's true of almost every Hitchcock movie. Uh, the man has been privy to seeing something that he he suspects he shouldn't have seen or somebody thinks he's seen and he doesn't know what it is he's seen that they think he's seen you know so he's trying to figure that out and um and uh, i mean i think hitchcock was a man who whose excitement in life was looking into other people's lives and god knows what his interior life really was but uh, uh yeah, we perhaps don't want to go there but uh but you see it in 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 uh, Jimmy Stewart, this putatively all-American guy, which was what was so good about it, fascinated with the goings-on in other people's rooms and bedrooms, uh, much as I think Hitchcock was fascinated by these things, and um, and 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 his being confined to that room was just the most perfect expression of never breaking a point of view right from that window he saw it and it gave it a cumulative power that it could never have had i mean when finally 
the outside world that he'd been looking at started looking back at him. What's the Nietzsche phrase? Do not gaze into the abyss, for the abyss will also gaze into thee. Well, that's, that, that's the, the cautionary. It's a cautionary tale. And it's a wonderful cautionary tale. I think it's one of his most successful films that way. And one of his most autobiographical. Yeah, I, I, I love that clip. Um, especially, not, not so much that last part, but it, his, him talking about like, the power of that point of view. Mm-hmm. And how much weight it has. And like, you can just tell like Hitchcock in almost a, you know, if this was what, 1954, I think? Yeah. He's doing this in 1954. I mean, he's almost hearkening back to the days of just like oral storytelling. Yeah. And and listening to that and being being a voyeur through that storytelling, you know? Um. And the way he presents it here, the way he's telling the story here, it, it it fucking blows my mind that this came out in the mid-50s. And this guy had such a fucking strong grasp on point of view and perspective. It's incredible. It's amazing. Yeah. I understand I'm talking about Hitchcock, and everyone's like, yeah. Well, what the fuck do <laughs> you think we've been talking about for 60 years? But this is the docket. <laughs> this is a safe space. <laughs> um, so on that same kind of note, I have Hitchcock himself talking about it. He was on the Dick Cavett show. Um, you know, I, I don't want to get too much like that. In that clip there, he started going into trying to understand what Hitchcock was all about. Yeah, and yeah, doing yeah. research for this show, it's all the same things, right? Like everyone, like no one really knew what the fuck he was about. He's kind of a dick to actors. Um, apparently he had a good relationship with Stewart, but you know, he ended up doing four movies with uh, James Cagney too. And I I think that relationship wasn't as good. Um, I don't think there was a lot of good relationships with female actresses, but he's a very mysterious guy. There is that, um, that I think, um, that movie Hitchcock that came out, I don't know, five, six years ago with, Mm. uh, uh, fuck's his name. Uh, Hannibal Lecter. What's his name? Oh, uh, Anthony Hopkins. I think he plays Hitchcock. I remember watching that, but not being too blown away by it or interested. It didn't. It didn't, didn't see really... that either. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm not going to do. I'm not going to present that one. So oh, don't okay, worry good. About it. Um, but it, there's a lot of shit about him. Um, it's rare to find. Like, I think there's literally only a handful of fucking interviews with this guy online. So he was on Dick Cavett's show. He's talking about this exact same thing. So let's play this clip about uh, perspective. But. Uh... You talked about the, the, the Russian filmmaker. Ah, the power of film. That, that, yeah. That's uh, how strong film can be. Yeah. Well, I did the production section for Encyclopedia Britannica for the yeah. last edition. And in it, I described a scene such as in the picture Rear Window, yes, where you have a... James Stewart, a close-up of him, and he looks, you see... And you cut, we'll say, for example, a woman nursing a baby. Now you go back to Mr. Stewart, and he smiles. So what have you demonstrated? That he's a nice, benevolent gentleman. Now take the middle piece of film away. He looks, he sees. Now cut to a girl in a bikini. And he smiles. Now he's a dirty old man. <laughs> and it's the exact same smile. Exact same smile, yeah. the same look. The subject has changed. 
And you said that there's even, even more a dramatic example. That was the Russian filmmaker who showed an actor's face and then a dead baby, and then did. the actor's face, uh, yes. and then a bowl of soup, and then the actor's face. And in each case, it was the same shot of the actor's face. But in the one seemed to be sorrow, and the other seemed to be hunger. Hunger, that's and quite could, true, yes, yes. So you could get an Academy Award performance for an actor with only one shot of him, really. Well, I did it years ago with an actress, and uh, I found her very difficult. And uh, I did all her close-ups and said, look here, look there, look down, look across, move around. And go home. And go, then you may go home. And I brought in <laughs> another actor. Yeah. And I used all her hands, and she was cutting meat, and uh, and it was the prelude to a murder scene. And you just put everything around it. I used it? the hands only, yes. Gee. Is there a scene you wouldn't do over? Okay, so that's basically it. Like he just said, he won an Oscar for somebody <laughs> just by fucking filming their face and nothing else. <laughs> Uh, but he's it's problematic. Great... Let's retroactively cancel him. <laughs> Absolutely, he would not survive in today's Hollywood. Um, but most great he... artists wouldn't. No, absolutely. Uh, but he make, he makes amazing points, right? Yeah. Uh, way like every single time we go somewhere, we honestly get a reaction from from fucking Jimmy Stewart, right? Mm-hmm. Get that reaction of what he's doing. I don't think Jimmy Stewart is necessarily like a fucking great guy in this movie. Um, yeah. But, you know, he's not horrible. He's not a monster. We're not seeing like, but when, you know, when Miss Torso fucking bending over and dancing and all like that, he, he's, he's reacting like a fucking guy. When the, the couple's struggling to get their mattress into the fucking house when it's raining, mm-hmm. he's laughing. So he's a good, like, he's just, he's come out to be this kind of fucking everyday guy. And, and that's, that's through fucking the way Hitchcock fucking edits the film. It's fucking no, absolutely. incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is this wasn't filmed. I said it takes place in Greenwich in Manhattan, but this this was filmed in Hollywood. This was the biggest set Paramount had ever ever yes, made. I read that. For, mm-hmm. Yeah, something like a fucking uh, I don't know what it was like seventy fourth or one hundred and seventy fourth. I don't know. It was some. It was the biggest, most expensive set ever made for a film. Um, I think there's thirty one fucking apartments made. I think eight of them were actually livable, and I I actually think. What I read, this torso, 17-year-olds, lived in her fucking fake apartment while not filming. She just lived there all the wow. time. There was water. There was electricity. Um, they had to put a drainage system in the bottom of the set because of the rain scene that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, just, I, like, as soon as it came on screen, I said to Jess, I was like, this, this looks like, we saw Rent when we went to Chicago. I'm like, this looks like Rent. Like, this looks like a play. If you look mm-hmm. at it, like, it's, it's fucking incredible. And we never leave this setting. So that yes. even makes more like a Broadway play. It's super impressive, man. It's one of the things I noticed immediately was typically when you have a set like that, like a city set, mm-hmm. you will just have that first building that he's looking into. Right. There's another street behind it, though, with buildings yep. on that street. It's super yep. impressive, man. Yeah, the, the depth of that set is really, really impressive. I love... Okay, I didn't even expect to talk about this, but that what you're talking about there, the, the the bar across the street, yeah, and that tiny little alley he has in between the two buildings. Mm-hmm. I love how in play that is in the film. Yes, it's incredible how much fucking use he gets out of what seems to be a fucking ten foot fucking alley. 
you know, look into the street. We get to see Miss Lonely Heart go into the bar and sit down at the bar, get approached mm-hmm. by the waiter. We get to see, uh, you know, when Thorwald leaves the building, we get to see him walk. We mm-hmm. get to see the fucking uh, the box being driven away by the truck and uh, Lisa just missing it coming into the out. There's so much shit that happens in that 10 fucking feet of space. It's pretty incredible. Oh, the whole thing with Lisa going into Thorwald's fucking apartment. I mean, it kind of starts in that little sight line. And then yep. how he follows her I would be hard-pressed to not to, to find anybody who wouldn't be like, oh, my God, you know, like gripping their seat Absolutely. through the little uh, cat and mouse game during that scene. Just uh. And it's driven home by fucking Stuart in those scenes. Like he is like beside himself. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like she gets caught. Yeah. Like how – how helpless did you feel? Like, oh, dude, like, he literally can't do anything. He's just gripping onto his wheelchair and he's fucking, you know, he's screaming it like he can't do a fucking thing. And then, and one of the things that I mentioned to my wife after watching it is, I don't know if this movie works or is it as effective if Lisa isn't almost immediately on board. Like, there's no discussion, there's no argument about the. There's no moral argument about it. Um, at, at least I don't recall. If there is, it's very short. But, like, she's... Like, they're fighting. They're fighting about their relationship. You know, he's That's... kind of a fucking sourpuss. She's like, oh, my God. You know, she's 25. She's a New York socialite. She wants to be out and at parties and drinking and just yep. hanging out and everything. Um, but then she's immediately... Like I said, I don't, I don't know if there's an argument. But she's almost immediately in. And then yeah. they have like this camaraderie now. Now they're actually getting along. The yeah. nurse, who I don't know what nurse fucking that the insurance has, fucking makes you meals, uh, rubs you down, fucking does all that shit. They're fucking. Tough. You know, at one point she says, "Like she's a nurse." You're right. Like that. She literally says that even near the end of the movie. Yeah. One point though, during a kind of a back and forth, a sassy back and forth with uh, Jeffries, she says. I didn't go to school. And Jess goes, you're a nurse. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like, how the fuck did she get her job? I don't know, but she's great at it. (laughs) Just pour some tussin on that and everything will be all right. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that that was a, in terms of the, um, the, uh, the chemistry, not, not just from the acting side, but how the characters interact. Yeah. That's huge. That's huge that she, maybe it's because of her age, but she is almost immediately in. She, like, I've, so I've read some stuff about this over the years. Many people consider her, she's the hero of this movie. Um, you're right. There is, at the beginning, she's not all the way in, but it's because she's upset about the relationship, right? She doesn't want to agree with him when he thinks that there's a murder that's been taking place. So she wants to get his mind back on them. Like, right. So like she, she, yeah. she wants to forget about what the fuck's going on outside the world. She wants to focus on what's going on in this apartment. Yeah. And until she sees that fucking trunk being tied up and taken or whatever the fuck that she comes right on board. And from that moment on, people consider her, this is that she's the hero of this movie. And uh-huh. we are the ones witnessing her do it. Like, yeah, we're living through Jimmy Stewart, watching her become the hero because she is the one like you said, she goes over, yeah. she gets in the car, 
apartment. She fucking she brings the nurse. She goes digs up the fucking thing. She she does that fucking. I get she did really did that stunt by the way, going up the fire escape and climbing in the window. Like she actually Amazing. did that. That's awesome. I, I know, fucking nuts. Um, so she is the fucking hero of this movie, and she actually some of the negative that I heard about this, and you know this is modern times. Sure. She's doing it all just to impress him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of feel that at the end where, um, you know, she kind of gets his love right like she goes through all this shit she almost gets killed she gets arrested you know she comes back just in time to fucking well not save him but you know um bring the cops back to fucking save him and at the end you get this kind of feeling like now james stewart's loves her and now she's okay which is kind of fucking weak oh it's super weak yeah Yeah. that's some weak ass male shit right there absolutely absolutely no no they're they're sorry go ahead no, you go ahead. No, no, no. I was, I was going to say, uh, yeah, that, a lot of that shit in terms of, I mean, there are so many times we're just rolling our eyes because Stu- Jeffries is such a, a chauvinistic fucking cock. Absolutely. Uh, just the way he's just, he completely dismisses Lisa and not just, not just to the nurse, not in his own thoughts, but to her face. Yeah, <laughs> like he's a fucking asshole. So, but that and you know what you're talking about. By the time she goes through all of those things to impress him, to kind of win his love, to win him over, and then you know at the end, but you you kind of have to chalk that up as like that's just a sign of the times, you know. Yeah, you, yeah. you you kind of not that you have to write it that way, but there was no, there really wasn't. That was the status quo. That's just how you wrote. That's how things played. Yeah. A side note about those two actors. I read, um, I don't, I think it was a more legit place than uh, IMDb trivia, but um, there was an article that talked about her as an actress and just being, you know, so fucking flirty and gorgeous and everything. Um, She had broken up a marriage before this movie of another actor. Mm. And that actor's wife just happened to be, friends with jimmy stewart's wife uh-huh. so jimmy stewart's wife was on set every single day in that apartment oh jesus <laughs> during every scene of this fucking movie yeah, uh, yeah so it's pretty funny to hear i that. love that <laughs> God damn shit. grace kelly being all hot like 100 of the time she's in the movie <laughs> <laughs> you see when she got ready for bed man she came out hotter than she was during the fucking evening Woo! Like she yeah and shit, uh-huh. and she was ready to go. Like you know, somebody in nineteen fifties was just like, "What is this fucking porn? Is this <laughs> smut? I can't watch this. I get arrested under decency laws." <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. All right, so let's get to the main plot of the film. Basically, is this mystery about whether or not um, Thorwald has Lars Thorwald has killed his wife? Mm-hmm. Now. Where are you at, like, were you kind of going back and forth or were you settled on yes, he did or yes, he didn't um, at any single point in the film? Yeah, I I've, I mean, for listeners of uh, to this network that have followed us for a bit, um, may or may not know that I, I'm horrible at predicting things in movies. <laughs> I'm just fucking awful at it. I'm really bad at it. Um, I didn't. I figured that he did, but also, like, in the beginning, 
probably within the first or second second act, I was yeah. like, I don't even think it matters whether oh. or not he killed her. It's like the whole. I mean, it, it does matter. It it ultimately does matter to the story. But what I'm saying is, I I didn't feel like there was gonna be a reveal, a turn, oh. a swerve. I didn't I didn't think there was gonna be anything like that. So what did you think? was going to be like the moral of the story basically like what did you think this this ending was going to involve I didn't I didn't know if there was I didn't know there was going to be a big confrontation by the end like yeah. a final confrontation um right I thought there would be on some level I just didn't think it was going to be that at did all Did you think it was going to be more about just Jimmy Stewart coming to grips with his life and with Lisa are like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Was it going to be mm-hmm. more about uh, what he was going through than actually the mystery? I, I just thought that at some point, you know, he was going to, that the murder, that the murder res- would resolve with his involvement. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, it, but you know, <laughs> that's why I'm not fucking Hitchcock. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a shitty movie. <laughs> well, then things wrapped up and everything was a okay. Well, he, you know, it is. It's a really well written mystery, and it's because of mm. uh, I think because of his buddy, uh, Detective Doyle. Doyle, yeah, yeah. Tom Doyle, um, who comes in and just I love this fucking guy. I, I love this I, guy, I, dude. I fucking love Doyle. <laughs> every time I watch this movie, I love this guy even more. I love how he fucking he'll come in. And he'll just shit on everything Jeffries has to say, and they'll go back and forth because they've been they've been through shit together. They've been through yeah. the war, they've been fucking helicopters with fucking dead people and shit. Like they've they've been through shit. So he's not going to take any of Jeffrey's shit. <laughs> and I love, there's two scenes right where he fucking he talks shit for like five minutes straight, uh-huh. and then he's leaving. And when he's leaving, right before he leaves, he drops a fucking bomb on Jeffries. Like he just yeah. like he's like yeah. By the way. His shit, her shit was picked up by fucking Mrs. Thorwald, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> he fucking does it twice in the film, and I, and I was fucking roaring laughing at this. Just guy. shows up, pours himself a drink right away too. <laughs> he fuck, and then he meets Lisa, and he's like, "How about how about that drink?" And he's got a full glass of brandy <laughs> yep. in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> Doyle's fucking awesome. He is a fucking mac. I love this guy. Um, even though, you know, he's played off as a fucking idiot at the end because he fucking was wrong about everything. Oh my God, he couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> but, but he's fucking, he is a great character. And and that's to the writer's uh, fucking, you know, you know, his fucking, um, just, just the way he fucking framed us in the fucking Jeffries scene where we questioned ourselves, you know, I'm, I'm not, when I'm watching this film, I'm not questioning Jimmy Stewart. Like, I'm not like. Oh, he's fucking wrong. Like I'm questioning myself. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Like I said we we're watching everything he's watching, and we're seeing everything, and we want to believe when he's saying shit. We're like, it's easy to fall into. Yeah, man. Yeah, I saw that shit too. So when fucking Doyle comes in and just starts fucking shit on me, <laughs> I kind of felt dumb. I'm just like, oh fuck. Well, what the yeah. fuck's this movie about, that dog? Like, I don't yeah. know what the fuck's going here. <laughs> no, absolutely. I I just had a thought. Is this a um? Is this kind of the the, the Genesis and birthplace of Sliver? You get a little Sliver action? 
Um, no, yeah, not I, at all. Not at all. No, it is. There, well, there's a remake of this, right? It's Christopher Reeve in the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Never seen it. Oh, really? Yep. He made, he remade this in the fuck. I think it was the well. That would be the '90s, right? I think yeah. early '90s. Mm-hmm. Um, Suburbia is, I think, is just a, like a non-official remake of this with fucking Shia LaBeouf. Ah, okay. Um, so he sees his neighbor. He thinks he killed his wife or whatever. That's very very close. Um, well, yeah, Sliver, Sliver. So Sliver is. Well, no. That's is there a murder mystery in that movie, or is it just a fucking? Nah, he's someone, just a creep. Yeah, he's just a creep. Okay. Um, I, you know, I mentioned it earlier. This how this translates into modern day, and mm-hmm. I mean, it's not it's not a giant leap. You don't have to think about it too much. It's a guy fucking watching or admiring or 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 judging all these different lives that he's looking on 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 Facebook. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it's not as exciting, but there uh, there are so many people like Jeffries right now that just kind of live their life through everybody else. Dude, um, yeah, I mean, you could say that's the majority of social media. Absolutely, that's all it is. Um, so yeah, it's 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 scary how fucking easily this translates into the into the modern world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it sucks that my kid didn't really get into it. Uh, I think he will eventually. Sure. Once he, you know, he kind of understands film a little bit more, and it's, um, you know, gets a little bit more life experience too. Yeah, I don't know if this is the. The, the introduction to Hitchcock, I think yep. maybe for everybody it might be um, Psycho or The Birds. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is this I I still say this is my favorite Hitchcock film. It's really? um, oh absolutely this is this has always been fucking just rewatchable and I, I watched it this week and I was just finding more shit that I could talk about and then you know doing obviously doing research for the show I was just like fucking blown away by all the shit that I found out and watching all these old interviews with Hitchcock and shit like that. It's just, it's just fucking phenomenal. Um, I can't, I hope, you know, I hope the docket seasons to come is somebody fucking throws up another Hitchcock film because there's a lot, a lot more shit that needs to be watched. If you haven't seen any oh, fucking awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad this was the film too, because, um, I think I had four or five Hitchcock films on my docket list. And you're like, yeah. and I, the one I actually chose is Rope. And you're not, you're like, no, let's do Rear Window. Yeah. Now, but what rope. was now? I haven't seen Rope yet. Without rope. spoiling that or talking, because I'm pretty much going into Hitchcock films without zero knowledge, without any knowledge of the of the plot. Yeah. So without spoiling Rope, um, what what was what was your thinking behind? Let's do rear window aside from rope or instead I, of. I think it was just a personal thing because I like it a little bit better. But gotcha. I'm telling you now, you're going to love rope. You're going to absolutely love it. Yeah. Um, it is a mystery with Jimmy Stewart. And it's it's fucking the 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 fucking camera tricks and shit like it's it's put off like it's filmed in one one shot. I'm not spoiling yeah. anything. Mm-hmm. That's what it's known for. It's put off like it's put. It's filmed in one shot, and um, it, it's just, it just has you guessing the entire movie. You're gonna love that movie. If you want to do that next season, I'm fucking down. Let's do it. Um, it's great. It's fucking really great. I watched that. By the way, I watched that much later than Rear Window too. So I had, you know, what I mean, like I had, 
uh, my loyalty to Rear Window. Like, yeah. I, I, I haven't seen Rope as close to as many times as I've seen Rear Window, but it is a great film. It is an absolute great film. Nice, nice. Yeah, I like I said, I, I think this is, you know, things are starting to open up a little bit more in terms of the quarantine and the stay-at-home order and everything. Um, right. But I, I just felt like this was the perfect, perfect fucking quarantine movie to watch. I mean, it's basically, in, you know, you just we just touched on the social media aspect a little bit, but it's basically what everybody's doing anyway. Yep. Um, you know, I'm guilty of it, of course. Like, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm not, but you know, just the, the 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 peering into the voyeuristic aspect of peering into other people's lives and seeing what they're doing, and then just. Also having the awareness, which I guess is the camera in this case, of what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You yeah. know. Listen, man, I'm not gonna lie. When I get when in, you know, more so when you you lived up a couple floors, but there's a there's a fucking rear window vibe. At oh my your god! Yeah, like, I'm not lying because when I go over there. I fucking hear all the stories about all the shit that's going on in your fucking apartment building. Well, You're not when, staring at them. Like, <laughs> well, like, I, you know all the shit, dog. You oh, know all of it. It's so much. It's so much. If, 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 when you walk when you into, walk or in, I'm sorry, when you uh, when you park in our lot, yeah, especially like when you when you drive to our house and you park in the lot and you come out of the car, the first thing you see facing our building is the rear window building, basically. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's it's the it it's it's um so it's a three tier condo, uh, three floors up, you know, really old. So it's all brick and yeah. all of these porches, and almost everybody's out. Oh, it's fucking awesome! It's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and fucking people walking up and down the stairs. You're out in the porch, drunk as shit. Hey, what's going yeah. on? Then you tell me about them. Yeah, I'm like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, fucking can't stand that person. God <laughs> damn it. Oh, fuck. That's awesome, man. <laughs> All right. Listen, that is, uh, that is fucking Rear Window. I'm very glad that you watched it. You know, this is your first time watching. Listen, I've watched this quite a few times. I'm going to do a rating here. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine the first time I watched this, I probably, oh, God, I probably gave it a... I mean, imagine an eight. You know, I'm that guy. I don't go too yeah. high on ratings. Um, subsequent fucking ratings have always been probably nine. I, I'm going to stick to a nine right here. This is easily in my top 50 films of all time. Yeah. Um, not a question. Uh, I, I loved it. I, here's the thing. I think I, I liked it a lot more this time than the last few times I've watched it. For, for one, I wasn't at work. Yeah. For, I really had to fucking pay attention. Uh, I got to watch it with Jess, who had yeah, never seen it. Absolutely. I got to talk to you about it, who hasn't has never seen it. And I, you know, doing all this research too, and even finding out more shit that I didn't know about it. Uh, it it's a it's a it's it's a nine. It's a solid nine for me. I love this film. Moreno, did this meet expectations or whatever expectations you had? Mm-hmm. And what for Rear Window? Uh, expectations. I mean, it, it, it's hard not to have high expectations when you're walking into a, a Hitchcock film. It's it just go, it goes with the territory. I mean, the guy's a legend. Um, I can't imagine the amount of uh, 
you know, Hitchcock babies spawned in terms of like the influence uh, for the amount of movies that this guy has spawned from his directorial style, uh, his his ability to understand storytelling through the visual medium is I, I was floored by this movie. I was absolutely floored because this is a, a movie that's 70 years old and it could it, more or less take place today. Yeah. Um, I find that incredible. I find it absolutely incredible. Um, so the expectation was pretty high and I would say for, for a baseline that it, that it met the expectation, but it, right. I mean, it did exceed it. I just don't know how much. Um, I want to play this uh, Scorsese. uh, Martin Scorsese uh, talked about this uh, briefly. And in some ways, it does kind of sum up my my feelings on the film. Uh, So this is is a really quick clip from uh, old Marty. There's no doubt. Ray Window is a film you could watch again and again also. Again, the story doesn't matter. You know all the facts. You know what's going to happen. You know the plot. But it's the way I think... um, two things. Again, the way Hitchcock shows it, which means where he aims the camera, what he puts in the frame, how he moves it, how he doesn't move it, the use of color, and Jimmy Stewart's character, who um, morally is on the edge, they say. Should he be doing what he's doing? It's none of his business, you know? It really is none of his business. What kind of a guy is this? And he's our hero. You know, we have to go through with him. And I think that's something, uh, again, that um, only Stewart could have pulled off. Now, you like him. Because he's a very genial guy in the beginning of the picture, you know. But he goes off on some perverse trip, you know. It's very odd, <laughs> to say the <laughs> least, Marty. It's very odd. Um, but that's the thing too is you know something that he was saying there about being morally uh, on on the edge mm-hmm. is like I can't stand like nosy people. It really, I, I I guess it's just my upbringing. Like we don't we don't go into other people's neighborhoods they don't come into ours we do, we just don't we don't go into other people's fucking we we just don't mess we used to say like why the fuck are you in my kitchen like get the fuck out of my kitchen stay out of my kool-aid motherfucker like stay just stay out of my business you know what i mean so like i i find like nosy people just super gross um so i kind of had that feeling watching rear window to start but I was like, oh, he's our hero. Why? But like, why? Why is he our hero? You know, it's the same thing that fucking Scorsese was saying. Um, so what I'm saying is like, me and Scorsese, we kind of think alike and everything. So it's the only reason why I wanted to play that. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd be hard pressed to 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 give this a nine. On first watch, it, but it's because it's it's definitely an eight. Okay, but fuck, man, it. I really want to give it a nine. I, okay, I feel like after this conversation, you're if you ever rewatch this, it, this is gonna be a whole new light around it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Every single scene, every single thing he's looking at, every little thing that you thought was non essential. Mm-hmm. It's gonna mean something to you. You know what I mean? It's gonna be like, oh, I get. Okay, that's why. That's why she's fucking got three guys in her fucking apartment and fucking 
making up with one and fucking t- she's just trying to get fucking on in her career. I get it. Yeah. yeah. Like all this it, it just makes sense as you go on and on and on. But I, I, and the other aspect for me is like when I I'm I'm very verbal while watching movies. <laughs> yes. As you know. <laughs> um and but in in this in this type of movie where you could get me to be like, why are you doing this? Stop! Don't! You know, just like screaming at the TV. I mean, it's, you know, obviously pretty invested. Mm. So um, I fucking, I really love this movie, man. It, it was such a fucking treat. I'm glad to finally check it off the docket. And I can, like, I can't, like, do I have to wait for another docket to watch another Hitchcock film? Or can I watch these on my own? You know what I'm saying? Let's uh well, now the season's done. Let's have a meeting. We'll pick. <laughs> we just do the Hitchcock docket for me. <laughs> Everybody else has seen all of them. <laughs> I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. You know something? I I hate to squeeze it in just at the end, but there's something I didn't talk about, mm. and I know it's something you wanted to bring up, um, or at least I know you would want to talk about is the music and how brilliantly it is fucking played in this film. And it's almost so brilliant that you I don't even know if I've ever seen it doubled in that we have a composer mm-hmm. that plays a lot of music during the movie, which acts as the score. Yes. Incredibly brilliant. Yeah. We have Miss Torso dancing to her music in her apartment, which plays as the score, which is incredibly brilliant. There's never, you know, when things are okay, when it's daylight and there's a nice fucking you know, a nice breeze going through the complex and everything's okay. You have that, that, that neighborhood music playing in the background. Yes. It's not a score. It's just that music playing and it acts as a score and it's fucking brilliant. Then it gets dark out. There's no music because that's, <sighs> it's creepy. Just, just the, again, um, you know, 1954, you know, cinema has been around. Cinema as we know it has been around for what? Maybe forty years up until that point, maybe mm-hmm. less. Uh, but to be able to have that that insight in how to use oh, it's all of those tools, at, uh, it's I can't, I just can't fathom it, man. Like it, I, I, I struggle to come up with words to how much. I'm in awe of that and my appreciation of it because yeah. it's fucking incredible. Absolutely. This is, and, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of music scores, a uh, huge fan of uh, soundtracks, but I'm also a huge fan of, you know, Tarantino does it a lot where it's not just a score. The music is coming from somewhere. It's coming right. from a radio. It's coming, from, you know, it's coming from somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, that really reminded me of it. So, yeah, great shit. All right. Oh yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this wraps up season one of the docket. We hope you have enjoyed every single episode. There's been laughs, tears. I don't know if there's been tears, but um, hopefully arguments. Uh, it's been incredible. Uh, we hope to be back for another season. Like I said, Moreno's got to watch a lot more Hitchcock. So, uh, <laughs> like to see more, come visit us on uh, Patreon. You know, com slash Patreon. Um, listen to the Bingecast. Uh, subscribe. Well, not subscribe, but um, um, 
you know, we've got tons of stuff going on in binge media now. We've got the binge cast, we've got the aftertaste, we've got movie homework, mm-hmm. we've got sports, sports cast. cast. So many different podcasts for you to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been a blast. Marino, thanks for hanging out with me. Thanks for Absolutely. watching. I'm so happy that you enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, until next season, I guess, I will. You've been listening to the Binge Media Podcast Network at BingeMedia.net. Support the show by donating on Patreon at Patreon.com slash BingeMedia. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Buy some merch at BingeMedia.net slash shop. Subscribe to our newsletter at BingeMedia.net slash newsletter. And don't forget, I didn't stop giving hand jobs because I was good at it. I stopped giving hand jobs because I was the best at it. Ah!